What's up, y'all? My name is Ben Brandenburg. I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Moss. Uh, Daniel's actually my brother-in-law and also a good friend. And uh, yeah, we're just trying our, our hand at this, man. Just this podcast game. We're new to it, but we're learning as we go. Daniel's uh, wife, Liz, has been awesome. And uh, she is our, she's been promoted to executive producer and she's figuring out all this stuff. And I'm going to be a little ashamed because I work in external um, operations at the University of Georgia. And I work around a lot of people that are very savvy in this, this world. I'm um, talking about you, Mike, Mike Bilbo, Rick Fairman. You guys are probably laughing at me, you know, trying to produce this show. But uh, Liz is uh, putting together some cool uh, connectivity as far as how we're going to share this and being able to share it on multiple platforms. But the main thing we want to do is just uh, just archive these great conversations. Uh, you know, between Daniel and I, we've got um, a lot of different um, relationships with folks that um, have we can learn a lot from. And um, I know this first con this first conversation, you guys are going to get a lot out of that. Let's get into this, man. We uh, had a chance to sit down with Brooke Whitmire and can't wait to share this conversation. What do you think of the conversation? Man, Brooke? I tell you, uh, Brooke is just a very interesting, incredible guy. He's a stud. I mean, his the depth and the length that like his presence reaches and in, in all different areas is so inspiring. Um, a lot of it's nostalgic, you know, coming from a kid growing up loving Georgia football and the involvement he has with that program um he's just doing a lot of really good things um putting out the information and 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 the vibes that we so desperately need today in, in the world so uh, i think y'all are going to enjoy what brooke has to say in his message without further ado here is our first conversation with brooke whitmire this is carry the map podcast episode one what is up I'm Ben Brandenburg. This is Daniel Moss. What's going uh, on, guys? This is our inaugural episode of Carrying the Mat. We've got our good friend, Brooke Whitmire. And Brooke, I know we're just getting started in this podcast, but uh, I've got a little intro here, not uh, not of your your uh, skill set or your resume, so to speak. But what do you think about this? All right. Welcome to Carrying the Mat, where we seek lessons in life, legacy, and leadership. Join the conversation as we commit to serving one another based on our unique God-given abilities. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Mm. William Wallace. Stalin. <laughs> so Stalin. that's kind of where we're going. We're, 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 uh, we're shooting from the hip. Alan Thomas, my boss, always said he was going to have a podcast called Shoot from the Hip. <laughs> and so this is a variation of that. We're, we're, we're taking some different angles. But, uh, Brooke, welcome welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the conversation. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown on Brooke. Brooke and I have known each other for a long time. Um, but Brooke obviously calls uh, the dogs on uh, – on every Saturday, you've ever, every time you've ever been to uh, Georgia in what, the past 20, 30 years? I mean, when did you start uh, calling the PA announcing? 1992, so it's, it's been a minute. Wow. Well, so any game you've been to during that time span, you've obviously heard Brooke over the PA. Brooke actually announced my wedding, and uh, do you remember what you said that day? Um, kind of lead into the, the ceremony. I, I think I do, BB. Was it that it's Saturday in Augusta? Is that it right? Was. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> and indeed, um, it was Saturday in Augusta, a special Saturday. Man, that was awesome. And uh, it was no one better, more fitting to do that than you. So let's just jump right in. Let's just talk about a little bit, Brooke, if you will, just uh, explain how you got your foot in the door. Talk about kind of your upbringing. Just take us from uh, a quick, quick hitter all the way through 
how you got in Georgia, how you got your foot in the door with the athletic association, how you let what led you to the role to to the PA announcer of the dogs. Well, first off, guys, thank y'all for having me. It's an honor. Uh, what a great name for a podcast. Uh, ATs would be a great name as well if he does one. Yeah. But uh, man, I you know, BB, I'd, I'd always have to start with my dad. And as you know, growing up in, uh, as I did in Atlanta, my dad was a 1950 graduate of UGA. And back when the rules were different, he didn't get married until he was 37, I believe. And back when the rules were really different, he did a lot of recruiting for Georgia back in the 50s, all the way to the early 80s before those rules changed. And so all I knew growing up was uh, going to Georgia games on Saturdays with my dad and, and the rest of our family, my mom and my sister, Diane. And dad was good enough to take me to recruiting meetings back in the day. I sat there as a little boy and heard Coach Dooley go over the the prospect list with what they called athletic representatives, my dad and a handful of other guys that weren't employed by Georgia, but did recruiting nonetheless. And um, BB, as I think you know, some of my prized possessions are some uh, a bunch of press passes and sideline passes going back to about 1953 that my dad gave me that are hanging upstairs. And so I always knew that I wanted to be involved with the Georgia in some way, fell in love with the dogs early on. I actually never played youth football growing up because those games were on Saturday mornings and I wasn't going to miss Saturday mornings. And I remember the, I believe it might've been the first time I ever met coach Dooley and dad said something about me not playing football. And he was like, Dan, your, your son's not playing football. And like, no, sir. I'm not. Cause I'm coming to watch you guys play. And so obviously playing would have never been an option, but the next best thing for me was being a trainer on coach Dooley's last three teams back in uh, gosh, 86, 87 and 88. And then I had the good fortune of taking a job as a student assistant with Claude Felton in the sports information office. And, the, Claude, uh, the Claude father, as we call the him. Claude father going strong uh, still to this day, which really surprises nobody, I think. And Claude was, um, gosh, he was and is a pro's pro. And I learned so much from him along the way. And I was a broadcast news major at Georgia, a business minor, didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally full-time while I was in school, but kind of had the announcing itch on some level. And every now and again, they would need somebody to fill in for maybe a, a G-Day game. Or um, we had a JV team at the time, which seems funny now, but they we played JV games four or five a year. And so there might be 50 people in those games, but uh, they might need somebody to announce. And so I filled in. And after graduating in 1990, took a job in the banking industry. And one day Claude called me and uh, Larry England, the great guy who had been the PA announcer for um, I think about 16 seasons before the guy I grew up listening to between the hedges. He was a radio guy in Athens and he had moved away and Claude called me and asked if I'd like to give it a shot that year and see how it goes and, and go from there. And, and thankfully that was, um, as I mentioned earlier, that was 1992. And so been going strong since then and, and enjoying every second of it. Man, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned Dooley, and you, you had a question about somebody else. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as, I mean, we all know Larry Monson. Mm -hmm. And and doing what you do, I know there it's not quite the same, but there's a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. What has he meant to you, and, and how do you utilize what you do day-to-day -day in your work, being such a big voice for the Georgia Bulldogs, like, what do you take from what Larry did? 
Daniel, that's a, I don't know if I've ever been asked that, and it's a great question. Um, I, you know, growing up going to the games, I didn't get to listen to Larry live like a lot of people did. I wasn't one of the people that would bring a radio into the stadium and all that. I had to be kind of locked in. Sure. But, and we sure did enjoy listening to the highlights afterwards. And I have some terrific memories being in the car driving home from home games uh, if we were there and then listening to highlights. And then, gosh, I'm dating myself here, but I distinctly remember 1978, uh, my dad and I listening to Larry as we played LSU down in Baton Rouge and we were there and Lindsey Scott brought a kickoff back and keyed a, uh, gosh, I think it was maybe 24-17 win, something like that. So Larry was a part of my experience just like he was everybody else's. And then the, to get to share Saturdays, seeing him every Saturday morning in the press box for years and years, he would be smoking a cigar way earlier than anybody else might imagine. And in fact, I had a dear friend, David Callis, who started sending cigars with me to give to Larry every Saturday morning, which was a special tradition. I'd kind of sneak into his booth and hand him a handful of good cigars and we'd have a laugh over that. But one of the things about Larry, and we all know this, Larry Munson was one of a kind. And I mean that in more ways than one. He was different and better than anybody that's ever done that job. But he also was himself. He didn't try to be somebody else. And he was what you see is what you get. The emotions on the sleeve. And so for me, when I did have the chance to become the stadium announcer, of course, it's a different thing. It's not a play by play gig. It's not a um, it, it's not a fans listening to every word and you describing everything. It's it's different. But yet at the same time and I knew this growing up, people have such a, a love affair with their game day experience going to Georgia games. I know I did. And I know that I could quote everything that Larry England said. And I knew when the Coke salesman was going to come walking up the aisle and all of that. So some of the best advice I ever got was to just be who you are. And of course I, I desperately want to be professional, want to do a first class job. Um, but also I'm not afraid for people to know that, uh, I love it when the dogs win and I love it when the dogs do something great. And so Larry was, he embodied that in so many ways. And, and, and the guy would always enjoy it about him is that he talked the same way. He could be telling you about what gas station he used that morning. And he described it the same way he would a third and eight with the wind out of the East and, you know, uh, Florida and a stand up five, they may or may not blitz, whatever. I mean, that was his, just the way he went about everything. And he was, he was something else. There's no doubt. That's that's really cool to hear you say that because so much of nostalgia, like, I mean, I think for most people is sounds and like, mm -hmm. you know, you, your voice, I mean, you recognize what that means to people at games. I mean, they might not know your face, the kid in the stands might not know your face, but they know the sound and the mm -hmm. rhythm of the, the way the game's called and that stuff sticks with you. And it's powerful. And that's what Larry did. And it looks like you've kind of honed into that. And that's something you're doing. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, y'all. And anybody could be the, it, it could be me or y'all or anybody else that's doing it. But I, I think you're exactly right. People just have a, a deep seated association with things. And I, I never cease to be amazed. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. I had a lady last night, we were downtown for something and a lady I've never met who a mutual friend told her that, you know, that guy over there is the stadium announcer. And, and she goes, are you, the, are you the voice of the dogs? And I said, uh, 
yes, ma'am, I guess in, in some respects you could say that. And she goes, please say it. I said, what do you mean? She goes, say it Saturday in Athens. And it happened to be Saturday in Athens. And we had a good laugh over that. But yeah, people, you know, it, it's, a, it's a special blessing we all have. Anybody that's fortunate enough to, um, as I did, and I know uh, you guys relate to this too. I mean, if you, if you grow up going to games or if you just had the chance to be a student at UGA or, or even just go and spend a Saturday between the edges, it's, it's special. And uh, it's even more special when you, when you go back to back. Um, but it's special and it's, it's um, everything about it is important. Absolutely. You've also, you've obviously honed in on that tagline is Saturday in Athens. Talk about some of the other catchphrases that you've, created over the years, maybe talk about the first time you tried something and, and felt that engagement from the crowd and something that you're like, hey, this is something we need to need to be consistent with. You know, BB, I, I think, um, interestingly, in the early 90s, of course, we had a real good year in 92. Then we had some years where we struggled and couldn't quite get over the top. And I was telling somebody the other day, it's, boy, Tennessee was beating us nine in a row we would have big games and big opportunities to try to get over that edge and we, we couldn't quite do it. And so crowd engagement was something that was, um, that was easier said than done. And there's a chicken or the egg argument. Is the crowd great because we win or do we win in part because the crowd is great. And so back in the days when there was no video board and there was no piped in music or anything like that, things which are certainly assets today, mm-hmm. um, and I just tried to do anything that could be original, but uh, from the heart as well, whether that's saying first down Georgia with a little bit of a different inflection, or if your blood runs red and black. Um, I don't know that I've ever shared this in a setting like this, but if your blood runs red and black is something that I say to honor the great Dan McGill, because mm-hmm. he, in his book, made a dedication to Georgia people. And he said, if your blood runs red and black, and that was in 1993. And one game I was walking, it was the Auburn game that year, I believe. I was walking through the campus to um, to uh, to get to the stadium and ran into Dan McGill, and we walked part of the way, and I got him to sign uh, his book for me, which, of course, I still have. And so there are things like that that I try to, try to work in that nobody else would really know, but really is a way to sort of honor, to honor other people. And, and without, again, you don't want to be over the top, um, but I, I felt like, with this it's Saturday in Athens, um, I felt like we needed something to just sort of signify that, hey, here's what we're here for and here's what it's all about. And it's it's time to get it going. And if you're outside coming in or if you're already in the stadium and you're doing your traditional things, well, boy, when it's Saturday in Athens and it's time to tee it up between the edges, it's, it's time to get it going. And that just sort of stuck. And so um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Third downs have become kind of a tradition. We laugh about that because um, – that's a uh, that's a big uh, that's a big point of pride for our defense to try to be strong on third down and if we can remind the crowd that uh, that that's what it is and it's time to get more engaged then try to do that as well. I think it's that's so key on the third downs, but just having the the crowd response and, and to Daniel's point about expecting that Pavlov's theory of, of you know, that battle cry that they hear consistently every week. That's so important from a game production standpoint. I know working from the side that, that that come you know and and working in the op- operations meetings that we're looking for you're a huge part of that and uh, I love that you mentioned Dale McGill um, the two two most harmonious uh, colors red and black yeah <laughs> yeah that that accent uh, uh, Lawrence Smith's got it too you know those guys are just uh, it's the end of a dying breed uh, 
there's a, a book I love by Tom Brokaw called The Greatest Generation. And those guys, uh, just a, a tip of the hat to, to those guys and um, some of the greatest Bulldogs. I mean, Dan McGill is regarded as one of the greatest. Uh, the term DGD, I mean, you being one of those, but obviously I love that you touched on Munson, Dooley, and Dan McGill mm -hmm. and, and Warren and those guys because uh, they uh, they certainly have our respect and um, have earned that over time. And uh, Thank you. Maybe I got to mention real quickly, you made me yeah. think of that. I, I touched on the greatest generation when I spoke at my dad's funeral six years ago, actually six years ago this month. And he and Dan McGill in the 1950s drove around Georgia in an old beat up car asking people for $10 to join the Georgia Bulldog Club. Wow. And I've still got it. I'm going to frame it, but uh, a letter that uh, Coach McGill and he and dad got to be great friends. And he sent dad a letter the week after I was born saying that that was a, a reasonable excuse for him to have missed some meeting they had or something and saying, congratulations on the fine boy. <laughs> he was yeah. uh golly i could we could all tell coach mcgill stories forever because yeah no one will he is the greatest and grandest bulldog of them all period nobody will ever surpass him and gosh losing him and then a coach course this year coach dooley and and charlie trippy it's uh mm. there's some there's some dgds that we've all been a privilege to be around that uh that are no longer. and a lot of special things happen after that that came from that which is just mm. incredible i mean it gives you goosebumps mm -hmm. it sure does it having sure. dual dually's tie and coat on the jerseys yeah. winning back to back you can't beat that you, that's a yeah. storybook yeah. ending yeah you can't write that it's unreal unreal you mentioned munson cigars i mean i know you're a guy that uh carries the stogie with you any road game any home game and i like to have a bourbon and stogie after the game as uh you know most guys listening to this podcast might join us in that uh, tradition. Sure, I'm not alone. <laughs> uh, or ladies, uh, or ladies. Um, uh, but uh, talk a little bit about the road games that you, you've been, been able to attend over the years, just just as a fan, if you're not working. Um, those cathedrals of the South, if you will. Um, talk a little bit about those other venues. Obviously, you, you have love Sanford Stadium, but talk a little bit about some of those other iconic venues that you've been to. That's what a great question, B.B. Again, I'm so thankful my dad was – good enough to take me with him. A lot of those road games, we went with our whole family, but he and I did a lot of them ourselves. Always loved going to Kentucky and uh, going to Kingland, the horse races. That's another thing we got to get back to where George is playing that road game in Kentucky in October. That's a did big Did you hit the, uh, the distilleries? What was your, what's your favorite distillery? You know what? Believe it or not, I've been up there dozens of times and I've never, I've not done the bourbon trail yet. I need yeah. to go see Woodford. I want to go see Maker's Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure why that hasn't happened, but it's certainly on the list. I love all of them. I've been to all of them in the SEC with the exception now. I've not been to A&M. Of course, we haven't played down there yet. It's going to be, you know, 60 years after, as we all know famously, since it's taken forever for that schedule to work that way. But I've not yet made it to Missouri, but been to all of the other ones. You know what? It, it, they've all got their flavor, and it just reminds you of how great football in the Southeastern Conference is. And other places as well. As y'all know, we used to play play Clemson every other year, every year, which I personally would still be a proponent of that. I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And it's they're hour and fifteen minutes apart, two great stadiums. That was quite a venue, loud as anything. South Carolina's got the maybe the most, in some respects, the most loyal fans in the world because in all those years, without a whole lot of success, they're so loud and so loyal. 
Um, being from Augusta, been, that we have a yeah, uh, our, our hatred burns deep at the border bash because <laughs> yeah, this is so obnoxious growing up. And I know I've got some buddies in Columbus, and their disdain for Auburn is unmatched. It, it, yeah, <laughs> and, and y'all touched on something there that is fascinating to me, and it, it has been a source of contention through the years. It's incredible to me how many other schools would say mm. we're their biggest rival. I love that There's, about college football. It, it, it's in, and it's amazing. You just look around our border and you think about that. The folks over in Columbia County and other places with South Carolina and then Columbus to Auburn. And then, of course, you got Clemson and, yep. and, and go either direction or any direction you want. And somehow in all that, they we've still got to recruit because they're all yeah. coming to Georgia to recruit. We're not necessarily going all those places as much as they are to us. But it's amazing. Um Grew up going to the to the cocktail party. My dad mm -hmm. was uh, kind enough to take me, although that wasn't a part of it for for us at all. It was just going to the game. In fact, we would we would famously leave there after the game and be home Saturday night in time to get up and go to church, and uh, that was an incredible experience. There's just nothing like football in the South, and we all know that. But until you experience and you have that chance to go to those other places and see what it's all about there. Having said all that, y'all, there's no there's no more beautiful place to see a, a game than Sanford Stadium. Uh, it is the greatest venue in all of college football, as far as I'm concerned, the most beautiful setting. What we've got to continue to do is make it the, the hardest place to play as well. I agree. And just to take a quick step back to the um, everybody's opinion on rivalries. I mean, I was in a fraternity up here, and it was so funny to me. It was like we had guys that were local that grew up in Athens, went to Clark Central Athens Academy, and their biggest hate was Georgia Tech. And you had some people going, you know, that's not – it should be Florida. It should be Auburn. And then you got the guys on that grew up in Noonan or Coweta County, and they they hate Auburn. And then for me and Bibi, it was Carolina. And then the South Georgia guys hate Florida. And that's what makes yeah. it special to me is, like, it, it's – kind of a revolving door like every there's enough hate to go around with your rivalries that's right everybody's got a different stance that's right I will say this just for the record and I, I I'll channel Dan McGill and my dad and my, my buddy Jeff Dantzler as I say this hmm. tech is our biggest rival and they always will be and if you don't believe me wait until we lose to them a couple of times right. and those folks my dad was recruiting it against tech in the fifties when we went through the drought and we went through some very, very, very difficult times. And incredibly coach Dooley turned that ship around and some great things happened since then. But in fact, I will tell y'all that one thing that I've not seen in my lifetime that I desperately wanted to see in my dad's lifetime is to get that eighth win in a row over tech. We came close in the nineties again in two thousands and it didn't happen. Um, and it's gotta happen. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, and don't get me going on this or we'll be here all afternoon, our record against them at home is is is, uh, is a travesty. There is no way in the world that our record against Tech at home would be worse than it is against a, a lot of schools that I start reeling them off. And you look at the last 20, 30 years, you'd be surprised. And there's reasons for that and where it falls in the schedule and all that. But Tech is the enemy. They always will be. And it's, it's where things are right now. we got to keep it up. And, I, right. and I, the guy that's in charge over there right now, number 16, is doing a pretty dang good job of where yeah. things need to be. Yeah. And I, I'll say uh, you uh, 
you ever re really want to light a fire under dancers, Heine, uh -huh. um, tell him tech doesn't matter. Because I've done that. I've been there, and it didn't go good. That's right. Yeah, as long as that guy's breathing, he, he, <laughs> I know there's at least two of us on Earth, and he and him being, I'll defer to him because he will set you straight if anybody says that. That's for sure. Well, it's a good segue because you mentioned Coach Smart, and you know having the privilege of work working, um, you know, up there and around Coach Smart, just his leadership style and um, learning a lot from him. Obviously, you being a great leader and uh, impact for me. Um, but I always say you could have been, you know, coming from Grady, you could have been Chris Fowler. You remind me of Chris Fowler a lot. And, oh, man. Uh, it's an amazing comp, you know, between you, you guys and when he does Wimbledon, when he does any of the stuff that he, he does on a, a weekly basis. I'm like, man, that's well, thank you. But talk a little bit about your career path and how you got plugged into the um, investing in guys, honestly, um, through through being a high school teacher and coach and, and what led you to, down that path and, and obviously where you are today. Um, but talk a little bit about that, that, that uh, principle of the path, if you will, but what sets you on that um, down that road? You know, BB being very uh, um, candid, when I was a, gosh, I was probably 17 years old, I felt very certain that the Lord was calling me to ministry of some point or it's of some kind. I would tell you that I felt equally certain that he was not calling me to go to seminary and be a, a pastor of a of a constituted church, so to speak, a local church. Didn't know how that was going to flesh out. And after being in banking for a couple of years, I felt led to go back and get my teaching certification to teach high school, as you mentioned, and, and coach. And that was a profession that I loved. I loved teaching history. I loved coaching uh, mostly baseball and swimming, a little bit of football. But what I felt most led to is just the opportunity to pour into younger men and to to try to be a leader of younger men. And that evolved over the years. I taught and coached uh, high school for, for those years and then became a, a um, high school administrator for a little bit there before getting into the human resources side of it. And for a number of years, I was a um, human resources director for Gwinnett County Schools before having the good fortune of coming to work for Oconee County Schools, where I've served as uh, the chief HR officer for the last, um, gosh, this is my 15th school year doing that. And so we had actually moved over here. We wanted to be closer to the university. We wanted to have closer proximity to students and to the university community. And so we moved over here in 2004, and then I commuted back until 2008, commuted back to Sewanee, where my office was before having, the, as I mentioned, the blessing to come to work here. And so for us, Jennifer and me, our primary focus ministry-wise over the years now has been with college students, and we just enjoy any opportunity that we have to, to pour into them and to share the gospel and to share God's word and to um, try to do everything that we can to be a positive influence on those lives that are so many of them that have become so special to us. So that's sort of the gist of it. But gosh, there's no better job than being a high school teacher and coach. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. And there's no greater feeling. And I know y'all know what I'm talking about it about than a, a Friday night at a, a local high school with football and those lights on or going through a hall on a busy, busy day during the school year and just seeing everything that goes on in a high school. Um, it's a great, it's a great gig. Man, to your point of just, uh, I miss that about working in recruiting, my recruiting years of uh, talking to high school coaches and having that um, week to week. I was just at the, the coaching convention uh, that Georgia held this past week, and it was refreshing to get around some of those guys. And as you mentioned, there's no better uh, battleground for, uh, you know, for, for leading young men and, and 
done in the schools and my wife's, you know, being a wife mm-hmm. of an educator um, and you work in Oak County, you know, Molly's out there doing, doing the Lord's, Lord's work and, and, and first graders. And now she's seeing them. And now they're her first group that she had in Oak County is, I want to say juniors or seniors at, at North or, you know, mainly at North. There's, and there's nobody better at it than her, BB. I know you know <laughs> that, but I'm telling you, there's nobody better. You talk yeah. about somebody that is just exactly where she needs to be and doing incredible work day in and day out, no doubt. I feel like that's a sweet spot, K through two, something about, you know, that little sweet spot of your first experience, your first, she is the quintessential first grade teacher, if you will. Like those, the, the high schoolers are always coming back to see her. And her mom had that same um, gift to say she was a fourth grade teacher. And uh, people still, we would run out into people downtown Athens in college and say, oh my gosh, I had Miss Moss. You know, she was, uh, she was amazing. My best teacher ever had. And obviously it's the same effect. Um, but it's something that's just wired within them. A real gift. But you've obviously followed your gift over time. Dan was wearing a Braves shirt. Um, didn't you have Brian McCann? Didn't he come through? Um, you know, I, I did have the good fortune. I was telling somebody the other day, we were at uh, Duluth. We had, uh, we had some guys. We had Nick Green uh, and his brother also came through. And then Brad and Brian McCann and had, had the pleasure of, of coaching Brian and, uh, Taught him everything he knows about his swing. You know, he, he was really nothing. Now that kid was, he was a remarkable, great guy, heck of a competitor, and they're really proud of all he accomplished for sure. We, um, we being about 16 guys, grown men, all professional. There's some lawyers in the group, doctors in the group. I work at Georgia. Uh, we get together every year for a fantasy baseball draft. And the mm-hmm. night before our draft, we spent we went down a rabbit hole of watching um, baseball fights, you know, clearing benches, breaking out. And you'd be surprised how many times Brian McCann was the one that started at blocking the play. Oh man. He was, I tell you, he was a, um, a the most gentle, just kind, easygoing guy and just the quintessential get between the lines and a fierce, fierce competitor one of those guys that, you know, Kirby rightfully so talks about playing to a standard and Brian played to a standard and it didn't matter what the game was or what the situation was. He wasn't sacrificing that standard. And he was Cal- a grinder. He was a grinder. And, um, you know, I, I just, he was, he was quite something and um, went a long way with it. And like I said, I'm very proud of him, but not at, at all surprised. And uh, in fact, I'll never forget seeing him take Clemens deep watching that I was actually watching it on TV and just had an out of body experience watching that haven't seen him do that so many times at Duluth that, to to make it that big but yeah what a competitor he was he had some grit you got it to play catcher you've got to have some grit and mm-hmm. I think you you guys were in at the time it was probably 5A I want to say that was a killer division I mean talk about some of those Parkview teams coming up through there Frank Gore and and uh the, the Stinchcomb boys and all the all the Guys that came out of Parkview, Brookwood, y'all, y'all were kind of in that same wheelhouse. So it was some really good uh, ball being played between uh, Friday nights yeah. uh, on, on the gridiron and also, uh, you know, on the, on the diamond as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this, but uh, talk a little bit about – you mentioned um, how the Lord set you on that path um, teaching, um, you know, and in, in investing in, in, um, in young people. But I also think something that's been evident to me is how he's given you um, some flexibility with your job and ability to mentor guys outside of work. This is not even work related, but you've been able to invest in guys, whether it's guys that are playing football at Georgia 
within the Greek system, um, myself included. We, we might get to touch on that a little bit, but um, I've been a product of that and, and experienced that um, really for the first time in my life, you know, and you modeled that for me, and I'm, I'm forever grateful. But uh, talk a little bit about um, just that mentality of open up your home and, and uh, Jennifer, you know, is a huge role in supporting mm -hmm. Cass for, for you. Um, and y'all are a unit and uh, really collaborate in that mission. But talk a little bit about how you've had that flexibility professionally to 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 move in that direction. You know, BB, first of all, thank you for that. And I, I would tell you, whoever first said bloom or you planted is a, was a wise individual because it's, you know, if your setting is a high school classroom, then that's where you have the opportunity to minister. If it's in a college situation, if it's in work, if whatever we're doing, we have the chance. We can always love people and we can always pray for people and we can always make ourselves available to people. And so for us, what we've tried to do since being here, among other things, is just we open up our home on um, Thursday nights for Bible study. That's just been one of those things through the years that um it's been amazing to see the Lord work in that. It's it's not something that we've advertised or anything like that. It's just been kind of a word of mouth thing through the years that um, um, that various groups of folks have come to, some that are Greek, some that are non-Greek, some that are folks that we know, a lot that we don't know until they come. And then years ago, BB, you mentioned the football guys. Gosh, I'll go all the way back to Michael Bennett and Hudson Mason, two great guys who were a part of our Thursday night Bible study they asked if we could try to do something one summer. And, um, and so we did, and it was a handful of football guys, Michael and Hudson and the good old Jeb Blazevich and some other guys that that just started kind of a summer tradition through the years, different guys have kind of taken leadership with that. I would teach it, but one of those guys would host it in their house or wherever they were living. Michael and uh, Hudson did it for a while and then Jeb did. And then, Charlie Warner and Jake Fromm and yeah. um, Jake Camarda and Ryland Goaty got real involved in that. And so that's something that's been every summer since then. And a lot of, I tell you what, there's some great young men that have come through the university of Georgia that, that don the red and black. I can tell you that. Um, and there's some solid guys there now, but I think um, going back to you mentioned hospitality, BB, you know, we're commanded to practice hospitality and that's mm -hmm. something Jennifer is phenomenal at. And even was, in fact, I'll tell you all real quickly for a number of years. And BB, I'm going back to the Four Horsemen. I mean, yeah. uh, Thank you. I had some oh, yeah. guys come over, including including BB and some great dudes. Um, and Jennifer was not really teaching anything at the time. She just kind of helped, you know, make some food or do whatever. And then as the Bible study sort of grew and continued, she started having a lot of girls say hey would you please teach one and so she started doing that and, and god has gifted her she is a terrific teacher of the word and so most thursday nights in our house we just have the joy of welcoming whoever comes we never know who all is coming and how many are coming and and we just open it up and um hang out for a while and then she teaches one and i teach one and then we we hang out some more so and that goes back i'll tell you all this real quickly and i'll, I'll always be grateful to some families Every place I taught high school, there was a family that was willing to open up their home, host a Bible study for me to teach. And, and it wasn't one of those things, obviously, as a teacher, um, was not going to cross the line and walk into class and try to proselytize or whatever. People just kind of started hearing about Coach Woodmire's Bible study at whomever's house, uh, Duluth, it was 
Kenny and Peggy Goodman, just great people that hosted and opened their home. And so that sort of served as a model for us to try to do once we had the opportunity in a different setting to do it. And, you know, to your point about, about outreach within the community Athens in general, I've, I've spent time, I'm from Augusta, like DV. I've spent time in uh, Woodstock and Kennesaw, where my wife is from. Mm. Uh, but there seems to be something different about outreach in Athens and the involvement with, in particular, the, the students at the University of Georgia. What do you think that is? What drives that motivation that you might not see at other, you know, communities, college towns? I mean, it's, you go into Athens Church and it's, you know, 70% students. It, it, it's it's amazing, Daniel, and, and you've touched on something that I, first off, would tell you I completely agree. I've observed the same thing. Uh, we talk about it all the time. In fact, we were talking about it last night. The the community, um, the the Christian community in Athens is so strong, and there is a. It's sort of a. I, I tell you, if you didn't know what you were looking at, you might you might miss it. If that makes sense, I. I I can't attribute it to anything except God's favor and his working. And um, a lot of students that, that are believers and that go through UGA have such an enormous, strong community that oh, it's a struggle to replicate that once you get into the quote unquote real world and move to Atlanta and all that. But I've seen a lot of them do just that because it's such a central part of their lives that they're very intentional about it going forward. And it is just, um, there's some great young people here. And there are also, as you mentioned, some great churches, Athens Church certainly being one of them. And I've observed the same thing there. We've had the, we had the chance to be a part of Athens Church. In fact, I believe that's probably where we met, I guess. It we is. Met. Yeah. It is. And, and I mean, the, you mentioned this, but I think you attracted guys that were thirsty for truth, that were hungry to, to learn. Um, I think that's how God... Um, you know, um, honors that. I think, you know, look at, you mentioned Tuck, Tommy, Blake Underwood, myself. We were all guys that were wanting to get up and go to Waffle House and just somebody bring a good word, a Devo or something. We were all trying to grow. And I think uh, it's a pivotal age point to Daniel's question. I mean, um, people were, are searching for truth and thirsty for truth. And I think you've been able to, uh, to hone in on um, folks that are like-minded in the sense of, of pursuing um, a relationship with Jesus. And I think you've uh, brought that truth to them. But I know just being exposed to um, authentic um, prayer. I mean, prayer is where, where I, I really can attribute part of my faith and wanting to bring prayer into my home, um, you know, praying with my girls, uh, with my wife. It's not something that I'm about in a thousand at, by any means, but um, I was not. Um, I, that was one of the first times I'd encountered that sort of uh, um that sort of relationship of, of praying for, for others in a very tangible, very real way. And the way you model that with uh, James and Allie, um, praying over them as, at a young age. So I think that's got to, what's the quote from Gladiator, what we do, it echoes in eternity. I think you've, 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 uh, you've really made a lot of investment in uh, things that were for the kingdom, uh, things that will, uh, that will always, I'll, I'll be, forever be grateful, but you've modeled that in a really, uh, really, you know, tangible way. Well, maybe right back at you, first of all, and I'm not just reciprocating that, that kind word. Um, it is amazing how the Lord works and, and we, none of us should be surprised, but he, he answers prayer. 
He does things. And, and the word of God doesn't return void. We know that. And we've all seen it again and again. If you just put out the word of God and if you just put out the gospel, the aroma of Christ is what attracts. It may be you. It may be me. It may be this setting or that setting. We may be different vehicles, maybe different ways that God and, and different people that God uses at different times. But it is the aroma of Christ that draws people. And we don't have to dress it up any other way. I mean, the gospel is what it is. And it's um, it's incredible to me how and and I, we've been to and we sound like church hoppers. We're really not. But since we've lived in Athens, the three churches we've been involved with, Athens Church, Classic City and now Watkinsville First Baptist. It's the same thing everywhere at all three of those. The gospel's proclaimed. And people come and college students come in droves and they want truth. They don't want, and they're, they're not getting up and coming to church or coming to a Bible study on a Thursday night or anywhere else because they want something fake. They want truth. And one of the things I know I've come to embrace, and I believe BB, Andy might've been the first person I ever heard say this years ago, Andy Stanley, but uh, it, it wasn't original to me, but it's something I've come to believe that, You've got grace and you've got truth and there's no need to sacrifice either. You don't have to come too hard on the truth and forget the grace. And you don't have to be just all about grace, grace, grace and forgiveness and ignore some other truth that may be harder. You don't have to sacrifice either. You just trust the Holy Spirit to divide that truth as he sees fit. And all we got to do is make ourselves available and, and use the opportunities, gifts, talents, whatever that God's entrusted to us as a steward. And then, all of a sudden you look up and you see things happening that can only be explained that, uh, that God did that. And, uh, there's nothing better to be a part of than that. Nothing's going to top that in this life. You talked about the aroma of Christ, but just being led by the spirit, but you being obedient to that call and just leaning into what God wants you to serve, you know, whether it's in the schools, whether it's open on your, open your home, then seeing the fruit of that later in life. I think that's how, again, we, Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel, there's the mm. certain things we're not going to understand about the, the, the Trinity, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the whole the Holy Spirit working in a way that you being obedient to that. But we, we're all wondering how it works and how, you know, is this is this um, God's will or, you know, uh, are we being led by the Spirit? There's certain things that are, if you can't break it down to a moment, but you can, you know, if you, if you take a step back and you look at, okay, this decade or these five years or this whole year, God was really uh, leading you in a way. And I think that's, that's, that's bearing fruit in the investments you've made and in, in people. Um, so you've created, um, not only have you mentored people, but you've modeled mentorship and, and discipleship in a way that uh, guys like me, um, we want to pursue that. We want to lead a college group. We want to open up our homes and, and, and reciprocate the same way we were led. I think that's, that's how the gospel, that's how Jesus, you know, chose 12 disciples and they all went out and, uh, performed uh you know miracles and 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 went into and practiced hospitality and, and that aroma of christ was with them that spirit but um it's something that um they wanted that sanctification process of becoming more like christ i think you're modeling that in a way um that's that is great but creating other followers that um that are ultimately it's 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 yeah. jesus it's it's what it is but um it's nothing well else. glory to god then to thank you that that's that's I, I think that it's, um, I mean, the, the, the word just doesn't return void. I mean, and the gospel is always going to resonate. Yeah. yeah. I think y'all answered my question uh, about 
why Athens is so special. And obviously it is Jesus Christ, it's God, but it's also people that have platforms that are willing to take time to pour in to other people. And mm. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right? Like, you know, mm. you, if, if your heart's in a good place, your soul's in a good place, take the time and try to spread that to other folks that might not even know they're looking, but that's right. they might find right. their way home. That's exactly right. And it's, you know, the great commission ultimately is to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, that involves mission work. That involves, if you're so led, going to distant lands to share the gospel. But it also involves just loving people where you are and doing everything that you can to disciple those who already know Christ and then hopefully lead others along the way to know him. But it's, it's gosh, there's no... Um, y'all know this and it's, it's one of my, it, it's a great tradition, just like football is. I mean, it's every year, there's just a new group of thousands of students that come to the university of Georgia and every, every one of them has this in common. They all need Jesus. Some of them already know them, some of them don't, but they all need them. And so any opportunity to just make that available, pour into them that we all have is just, uh, it's a privilege. It really is. I said, but Jennifer and I literally were talking about this. I, I think it was yesterday. It was like either yesterday, or the day before we felt led to be here. We love being here. We feel called to be here because of just the Lord leading us here. But on top of all that, or in addition to all that, it's just a great place to live. I mean, this is a fun place to live and the university is, um, is, is just such a vibrant, incredible community that uh, I know we wouldn't, if the Lord leads us somewhere else, we'll go, but um, hope he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of tie a bow on our conversation, give us, um, I know you hide scripture away, you've probably got more than one, but give us one verse that's kind of a, what you would call a life, life verse and something that, um, that you kind of, Maybe maybe you think about it every day. Maybe you uh, it's something that uh, has shaped your your uh, journey. Hmm. I, the first thing that comes to mind, BB, would be Proverbs three, five, and six: Trust in the Lord with all your heart; lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. And if we just do that, if it's everything, but if we trust Him with all of our heart, yeah, we've got some understanding, but it's not what we lean on acknowledge him in all your ways, however big and small, and he'll make your path straight. And we all have this idea, I think, particularly when we're in college of, gosh, and everybody gets this question in an interview, where are you going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And the real answer to that is wherever the Lord leads. And, but those paths, he's got that figured out. What we got to do now is trust him, acknowledge him, seek first his kingdom, and then let the, let the chips fall where they may. I'll tell you another one though, that I, I want to share that, that comes to mind. And it's also from Proverbs, and it, it really speaks to, I think, generosity, but a, another twist on it that I've seen, it's Proverbs eleven twenty five, and it says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And what I've observed over the years, and I know you guys will too, and it was, it was years of experiencing this without seeing that verse or noticing that verse, but if God uses you to impact somebody else, which is a high honor and privilege, inevitably what he does is he turns right back around and blesses you and encourages you and inspires you. And maybe I'll tell you beginning with the four horsemen and you and Tuck and Tommy and Blake and 
I, I, and all those guys I mentioned earlier and, and many, many others, man, if the Lord has used me in, in those lives, then praise be to him. And that's great. And I'm thankful for that. But it's impossible for me to describe how much he's turned right around and used those guys to challenge me, to encourage me, to inspire me, to um, just bring a whole just massive ray of light to, to my life and life and my family. And, and gosh, you mentioned James and Allie, what they got grow to, to see growing up, yeah. literally from the time they were old enough to understand their frame of reference of what it looked like to go to college and to go to UGA. All they saw was incredible young men and women who were walking with the Lord and enjoying the heck out of life, living it to the yeah. fullest, honoring him, doing their best with what they had. And that's their frame of reference. That's what they, that's what they knew. All they saw is the BB and Mobleys of the world before anything else. And that established for them what it looked like. And now they're getting to experience that themselves, which is really, really cool. And now James cuts my grass. So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, this just came this just came to me, but um Drew Goldsmith was a guy that was the early uh Brooke guy. And you know, honestly, this is he rushed my brother and, and Will Thompson, one of my best friends. Um he rushed uh those guys as KAs. I probably wouldn't have been a KA. I probably wouldn't have had the I mean my older brother really uh shaped a lot of my faith journey. Um mm. from a, from a, you talk about a legacy and you talk about um, how you invest in others like that was something they modeled for me without me even realizing what was going on and sometimes you know that when you they're four years five years six years older than me so me looking up to those guys um you know that that shaped my wow. um, my path for sure and that's something you know who, who knew that we were all connected but uh and drew is probably one of your early georgia guys i would imagine because just based he, on the timeline he would have been in, i don't he know he was he was, and I tell you, and I, this won't surprise either of you. I don't know a godlier man than Drew Goldsmith, yeah. and I don't. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing man. Love him dearly, and uh, and he also loves the dogs, man. I he, yeah. he sits. He and his family sit kind of right below where I am, up in that little perch, BB, and on the photo deck. And I love getting. I've watched him through the years, be there with his parents, and then now with his own kids, and it's. Uh, yeah, he's great. What a great guy. Augusta has sent some studs. Yeah, to me. Trinity, There's same church. And yeah. uh, Dan, Daniel was a product of that. Um, you know, I don't know how he how he ended up how he did. He got to the can. <laughs> yeah, what happened? Uh, I'm not yeah. all bad. Yeah, uh, he's, screwing, he's screwing up the, the the sample size. He's screwing up the meat. You know? <laughs> um, I'm joking. Um, but uh, yeah, coming through uh, Trinity. Shout out to the hometown. I mean, uh, Trinity oh. was a special time. I mean, Roy and yeah. uh, Danny, the leadership we had. Danny Key. Unbelievable. Roy McVay, the best. Really uh, special time. I mean, you always look back and think that was the glory days, but that was the glory days. You know? <laughs> Looking back at all the classes they've had, it was something special about that window of time um, that we were coming through. I don't know what it was. Well, BB, I'm telling you, it was palpable. Getting the honor of participating in, in your and Mobley's wedding in Toth after yeah. hearing of it from you. even I, I, You can even get a sense of that being there, honestly. Oh, yeah. You know? Do you remember introducing me to Will Evans and Ramsey when Will yeah. was a, he looked like he's about 13 years old? He did. He thought he was Rick, Evans. Uh, Rick Evans' son? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know this, BB, but Will is just about a year ago. He gave me the, the privilege of coming and speaking to the Augusta Exchange Club. And I got to see oh, Don, yeah. Rick. Yeah, that was such a uh, a blessing. Then Will and I got uh, 
got a quick nine in at the country club, which was a, a privilege yeah. and um, got so proud of Will. Where's the time go? I mean, now where's the made, time go? He, but, uh, you know, Will, I got to get, I got to get on to Will a little bit. He like blew up and was like jacked in college. I'm like, bro, you were a lakeside scrawny little guy running around trying to play quarterback. I was bullying the guy at practice and I'm, you know, not a big imposing guy, but then he gets to Georgia and he's like, Jack, he's like six two. I'm like, what happened? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Play that, no, I'm joking. I love Will. Jared Wallace was one of his buddies. Uh, I've gotten to know Jared, great guy. And I'm, and you know, you mentioned Will, but uh, Brant, his older brother, yeah. that was a stud athlete at Lakeside in his own right. He coaches at Darlington and Rome. Yeah, Darlington, right. Um, yep. He's another guy. He had talked about my brother, Bo, uh, Will, Drew, Brant's, and that same kind of group of guys that kind of, uh, you know, looked after me coming, uh, coming up as a pledge uh, at, you know, pledging KA. And I know James is now pledging uh, what? Uh, stick out and uh, get, a lot yeah. of those good guys and feed you guys. I always give them a hard time, but uh, I do love those guys. <laughs> um, yeah, there's the you know, BB. No, I'm like, joking. They're great. can't all have them like you and I did. I Found guess. one, joined one. F1 J1 is what they call it. Found one. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, all right, we're gonna end on a good note. We're gonna end on a uh, little game. I, I deboed this straight from Jeff Dancer, and I, I'm not gonna hide that. I'm going to tell Jeff, hey, I stole your game because I, I couldn't I think it. of anything better, uh, any better way to rack this. And so it's not original at all. It's called Above, Below, In Between, uh, ABI for short. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a baseline. We're going to kick it around the horn. We're all going to kind of give our reasoning for uh, how we rank these. But uh, so you can either, the next option will be something either rank above or below, and then eventually in between the two. And we'll co- come up with our top top five, if you will. All right, our baseline is going to be the blackout, 2007, uh, the dogs, you know, those rumors about it uh, mm-hmm. coming out with the black jerseys. I don't know why that just created such a stir, but it did. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that is something that uh, was – it caught everybody off guard, I guess, just the tradition of Georgia being the, the black yeah. and the way whites. But, uh, excuse me, the red and the way whites was the only, only option you've seen in it. Yeah several decades, but the black being another combination that was unveiled that day. Um, let's talk about, let's kick it around, talk a little bit about that game, which you remember for, and we'll rank it as our baseline. For me, that's, I've gone, that's our baseline. And Brooke, we'll kick it to you, and then we'll wrap with Dan. Go ahead. So, just what I think about that game? or is Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, 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 go ahead. I will give ops, all those folks, Emily Allen, everybody involved in that with such credit because it, and I'm like you, BB. I'm not. I'm still not sure exactly. I mean, it was cool. I love the black, but it really was one of those seminal moments where everything just pulled together. And I'm telling you, I did not know for sure until I saw with my own eyes those guys coming back out in black. And um, what a scene! What an atmosphere! It was one of those deals. Got a little nervous early on because I was like, man, if we don't pull this out, mm-hmm. you got to win. If we're doing that, you got to come back and win it. Which That's right. Did. It was just – it was one of those perfect storm moments where everything came together. We played great. The crowd was uh, was electric. The atmosphere, the weather, everything was just right. And um, it definitely ranks up there highly. People ask me all the time, oh, what's your – you know, give me some favorite games or whatever, and that's that's up there. It was special and, you know, never gets old beating Auburn, that's for sure. Hmm. Dan, what do you remember about that day? That day um... – it was just the atmosphere. I mean, the, the fact that they, they came out in the red and then coming yeah. back out in the black and then everybody just literally loses their shit. I mean, they just go nuts. <laughs> like, I mean, the whole stadium. It was candid assessment I've ever heard, but you're spot on. That's exactly right. 
<laughs> and uh, not sure that's happened against Georgia Tech. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> um, and it needs to. It needs to. It needs right. to. That's a whole. That's a different podcast for another day. Anyway, but, go ahead. It's a hell of a baseline because I mean there are some incredible atmospheres. I mean it's like impossible to choose. So it'll be fun, kind of seeing what you think, working off that, and some other games that we've kind of talked about, BB and I ourselves, and yeah. where you think it ranks. Yeah. And, and quickly, Danielle, just to add this too, BB, you're exactly right. You remember the captains even came out in red. And yep. so um, it was down, and that just speaks a little bit to the attention, the detail. There's a life lesson in there, I'm sure, about how you got to cover every base and then a couple more to make something like that happen. And so you think of all the work that went into that for that moment, and anything goes wrong and it wouldn't have happened. But yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. The equipment staff, you know how tight those jerseys are. Oh, my and God. I don't see how they, how they accomplished that. Uh, yeah. Switcheroo. But, uh, okay, next up um, – Georgia versus LSU 2013. Leonard Floyd coming off the edge, hitting Zach Menberg in, in the ear hole. I don't know what – I think it was a top five matchup at the time, top ten matchup at least. Uh, you know, so um, go ahead, Brooke, you rank it, and I'll, I'll follow up. Uh, it's, gosh, for me, y'all, I'm going to have to rank it above because I will tell you I'm going to go back to Michael Bennett real quickly. Michael Bennett the year before torn his ACL and um, was having to miss a good bit of the season. Um, or was it that year? No, no, 2012, he came back in 13 against LSU, scored a touchdown. He and I got lunch the day before, and I was like, you're going you're gonna to score our first touchdown tomorrow, and he did. And we pulled that out, and um, that was, you know, what's the loudest we've ever heard? That's right up there at the top. And he and I had a special moment afterwards, catching eyes when he's leaving the field, celebrating that. And that was just a, um, gosh, it was – and it was another one of those things, guys, and y'all know this, talking about getting over the hump. There are different humps that you got to get over, but how many times did we have situations where, boy, it's just right and game day is there and then we lose? Or it's on national TV and it's at night and it's right where we want them and we lose. And we, we did what we had to do and we won, and it was incredible. South Carolina that year wasn't half bad either. No, that, that's a good you point. That we, we bounced that one around yesterday, but uh, – because both those games were incredible. I mean, Brendan Douglas, when he trucked uh, the defender uh, and just like literally bodied him, like yeah, everybody's like the Aquinas. Who, who, yeah, yeah, that's my. I went to Aquinas. So shout out, Mike Nyers. But everybody's like, yeah, everybody's like, who the hell is this guy? He yeah, looks like right. Buzz, he looks like Buzz Lightyear. I mean, yeah. he's like shaped like him. He looks just like Dude. they called him Buzz in the running back room that year. Oh my gosh, he's a load. Probably still is. <laughs> I think I would agree, though, that the LSU is – it might be an unpopular opinion for people that watch the game on TV. Yeah. But being at the stadium, I think it's ahead of the blackout. I mean, I remember we were in the fraternity section. We Our, our section was in the 600s. And mm. I'm sitting there with my buddies, and like Bibi said, when Flo came around the edge and just absolutely ear-holed Mettenberger, mm. I looked over at my fraternity brother and I said – this damn stadium's going to fall down. Like, yeah. it was shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. We all, I'm going to take y'all back real quickly, and, I, and I'll shut up after this, I promise. Ah. But 1987, my sophomore year, if you ever go back and get a chance to watch it, we played LSU at home. And we were not a loud. As much as I grew up loving going to San Francisco, we just weren't loud. I mean, we get loud at times, but we were not like – South Carolina, Tennessee. I would argue now that we absolutely are, but for years we weren't. We just, it just wasn't our 
wasn't the atmosphere there. But that particular game, 1987 LSU, that place was, as Munson would say, was worse than bonkers the entire time. Deafening loud. I was on the field because I was a trainer. And and just like you, Daniel, we had a moment where it had gotten so loud and we were on defense. And I turned to a buddy of mine and I said, what would happen if we picked off a pass right now? And we did the very next play. And I honestly thought the place might come in. Well, we lost 26 to 23, I believe. It was crushing. ESPN said it was the greatest crowd they had had all year. Get, called us, I think that time they were called us something like the national champions of fans for that year. But we didn't get the W, you know, and you got to win. None of that matters. And this is rule number one, baby, and I know you'll echo this. It's not a highlight if you lose the game. That's right. I can make the best catch you've ever seen, or we can run the greatest play if we lose. I never want to see it again. Don't AJ Green, Colorado. This is worth the waste. It's a hell of a catch. I never yeah. want to see it again because we right, lost exactly. Colorado. Julio Jones in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you you want to bring back that memory? Then in front of come out that. I mean, you just I don't want to see it. So you got to win, baby. You know That's you right. got to win. That's right. And we did against LSU that year in, in 2013. And the rest is it. I'll go against the grain a little bit and rank that one notch below the baseline at Auburn. Uh, but just because the simple fact that I was a student. Uh, we were, I guess, mm-hmm. in the blackout. I was up there in the, in the recruiting section. He talked about some Jack and Cokes being tossed tossed around when we they came out. And and we had a pick, the first possession. I want to say Keelan Johnson picked yeah. off the first uh, possession. Right. And the place just, you know, again, went nuts. And then Mo Mass had a big um, throw down the sideline. There was certain moments early in that game to where you were, it was just a fever pitch. And it was just like somebody kicked the ampile, and it was just nuts. So I've got that um, right below the baseline. Okay, next up, um, we'll go ahead and throw in um, Georgia versus Notre Dame in 2019. This is the first time we got to unveil the the lights. I think the, people were so buzzed about the year before, you know, going to uh, to South Bend mm-hmm. and yep. the Rose Bowl year. You know, Kirby had, had, had uh, arrived, so to speak, and, and becoming uh, an elite. Um, organization elite uh, program. And I think everyone was just excited to host uh, Notre Dame. There was a lot of uh, posturing, I guess, you know, everybody's like, oh, talking about how Notre Dame was so polite and everybody's being all show me with them at the game and being a good host, rightfully so. But uh, when it was time to strap it up, that was a, uh, that was a loud game in its own right. Just being a night game, being uh, the lights unveiled. Um, talk a little bit about what you remember from that. Oh gosh, it's above for me, BB. And it, it again, it was one of those things where, and I know Daniel, y'all both can relate to this. You, you, you again, you got to win, and we did win. Um, I still can't believe that we're three and zero all time against Notre Dame because all three of those games were so huge in their own right. For me, it was special. Allie was a freshman then, and she was in the crowd, and as a student, and the rest of my family was there too. And it was just one of those incredible moments. I, I, I'll say this: I know when I walked in the stadium, got there super early, went down to the field just to kind of get the feel of things. I usually try to do that. And I have never sensed Sanford Stadium like that an hour and a half before the game. I mean, it was palpable. It was, I mean, whatever phrase you want to use, it was, it would apply. And, um, and again, to, to be able to pull that out, and I'll, I'll never forget Jake making that run. He didn't get the first down, but it was third and long, and he tucked it and ran and lowered his shoulder and, and took a hit. And it was just kind of, just kind of, communicated gosh that we got to win this game I mean you could just sense that we can't do this and have all this build up and not win and 
crowd was there. The lights were incredible. That was one thing I, I did know that was coming and knew of all the rehearsals and participated in some of that. And it was, but again, who knew that the reaction would be people still talk about those lights and I love them too. But I mean, it was like, I don't know. It was amazing. Um, a huge win, but yeah, it's above for me for sure. It was a special game. Um, selfishly for me, uh, not selfishly, but I guess just being stubborn, I would rank it below. And I think a lot of that is, is, I mean, the game day atmosphere was unreal. Like people were there like seven o'clock in the morning, started tailgating and the stadium was unreal. The lights were so much fun to see, but I was so frustrated during that game because Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, it didn't play out the way that, a cocky Georgia fan thought it was going to play out. And it was you're too still, stressful. You're still waiting for us to tackle the tight end, aren't you? On that that, right. damn t- that <laughs> tight end, you, he, played his, he played his butt off. He was so uh, good. Quarterback uh, play was good for them. I mean, they came and they literally threw everything they had in their arsenal at us. And they could have won the game. I mean, it was a great game. Injuries, Daniel, i got to ask you that real quickly. Put you on the spot. Did they fake injuries? That injury, that injury was bullshit. Nah. <laughs> <a> fair answer. <laughs> yeah. It was um it was special. I think there's been some moments like that in uh the Kirby era, you know, in, in the Coach Smart yeah. era, being that um where the crowd has really impacted the game. Yeah. And I think that's that's a testament to that. And I think there was a lot of pride at the time, you know, they were talking about how Georgia really traveled to road games and we were getting a lot of praise from around the nation for being that fan base that was just obnoxious and taking over the Cubs game, you know, and, yep. and you know, when we Bears were there, on Sunday. Oh yeah. And this Rose Bowl that, you know, even the announcers were talking about how they'd never seen any sort of momentum like that. And that, that time frame captures that. Um, and so, but I've still got it. Um, it's hard to rank it against L- over LSU, hard to rank it over the baseline. Uh, Auburn. So I've got that coming in behind those guys. You know what? And let me go back. I got to say, hold on now. Because yeah. I've gotten confused, and with apologies to JD, I would rank it above the blackout, but it's in between that and LSU. I would have okay. to say it. Yeah, John is down because I'm, I'm sitting here trying to type these in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm uh, like, okay, where are we at? It's like there's respect for the uh, commentary when uh, JD's like getting off task. I'm sitting here looking at the next uh, next one I'm going to call, and I'm uh, that's losing, awesome. losing my spot. But anyways, yeah, um, all right, all right, next one up. Okay, um, okay, you'll you'll appreciate this one, Brooke. Uh, this is uh, the Tennessee up that upset in 2000 when we stormed the field. We had lost what eight was it eight straight Tennessee? Nine, nine straight. Okay, we lost. Um, Jim Donnan era, Quincy Carter um, was uh, doing work. I was not at that game, which is it's interesting. We, we did come to a lot of games um, during that time frame, but I somehow had some a conflict with sports related or something where I couldn't make it up. But I remember watching it, and I, it was pandemonium. And I know that there were weren't prepared at the time for the just the rush of fans they didn't have the titan security walking out and you know surrounding the field they did after that after the fact that's yeah. what that, that that's the game that changed the game from a it security did. standpoint but uh talk a little bit about that um game and then i'll tell you where i've got it ranked as well gosh uh, below or in between uh, it's an asterisk game to me, and I tell you why. For me personally, it was the first time. And isn't it great now, guys? It's something I've I, – I truly – I don't say this lightly. I thank the Lord that I've lived long enough to see. 
what has become the norm now under Coach Smart and over these last few years, we've had so many incredible games at home, on the road, where the crowd impacts the game that it's tough to even keep up with all of them. But at the time in 2000, we had not had that. We had lost nine in a row to Tennessee. We had lost all those the years. I mean, I grew up going to all those Florida games that I told you about. At one time, I was 10 and two as a fan going to those games. I then had a losing record because of the 90s. We were um, we had lost to Tech in the late 90s. I mean, it, for us to win that game and to get that monkey off our back, and even though, again, lesson learned and we'll never see it happen again, at least we got to see it that one time, those students pouring over those hedges, those goalposts yeah. coming down, um, it was big at the time. Of course, things change. It's not nearly as big as things are now. So I, I've got to say that it is in between for me. But the asterisk for me would be that was a that was a seminal moment when we finally got it done at home with everything on the line and all the attention on Georgia, getting the W and doing it at home. Because as y'all know, we've got a lot of big wins. This is a side note, too. A lot of our biggest wins have been on the road. And you have to try a little bit harder to come up with the games where you say, gosh, I remember this one at home. There's There certainly are some. But you think about Auburn – to have the prayer at Jordan here and the kick six and back-to-back games at home. I mean, that's just – that's crazy. So, I'm digressing a little bit there, but it's in between for me. What do you remember from that? You're probably in elementary school. Man, I – so, this this ranking's kind of tough because I wasn't at that game. Uh, I think all the games we've talked about so far, I I was lucky enough to be there, and I think we have another one we're going to talk about that I was at. But uh, watching it on TV, we were – I was with my dad and my best friend – and uh, his dad, and I think we were in Warren County on a dove shoot at a hunting camp. Mm-hmm. And we got done hunting, and we went back to the house. And, you know, at that point in my life, obviously, we know the struggles of Florida. But to me, as a kid, Tennessee was unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Like, they, just, they were just unbelievable. And I remember watching that with dad. And the feeling that I had, it was like, holy crap. We finally beat Tennessee. Yeah. You know, at my age, it's just that's Florida during that time. In Florida at that time as well, and uh, so I would rank it from a TV standpoint of just general games that I've watched. I'd probably rank it three on the list right now, uh, behind um, what we have. LSU's one, mm-hmm. and then what would we have it to? Was it blackout. Was that blackout. Nice? Yeah, I'd rank right behind the blackout. Maybe. Yeah, I've got that rounding out the, uh, at the you know, kind of kind of right in there with Notre Dame game as far as impact, crowd impact in the game. And uh, I think there's probably – you're the best judge of this, being where you sit. You're in a consistent spot. So I'm going to trust your top five over ours. But the simple fact that I wasn't there, and that doesn't take away from the, the experience of that. I'm sure if you were in school during 2000, you'd probably say that mm-hmm. was the best. So I understand the bias there. The last but not least, I want to mention this one up. This is a shout out to this year, um, Georgia versus Tennessee this year. Uh, and um, <laughs> I mean, if you remember just mm. how the, the, the weather came and the crowd knew it was coming, but I'll say this it, it was, in my opinion, it was the most sustainable um, decibel level that I've seen. Maybe not the moment, it maybe didn't have the one. Uh, I, I'm sure that Stetson down from the pylon was, was a moment, but. Or, or Jalen Carter holding the guy over his shoulder. I mean, there was some cool, cool stuff yeah. in that game. But it maybe didn't have the crescendo moment that shook the, the earth, so to speak. But sustainably, 
I think it's one of the the, the most hype games that I've, I've experienced, and and that's kudos to the fan base for sustaining that. Um, and I think Coach talks about this and all the pressures of being, um, you know, a place that no one wants to play again and a place that uh, they can't hear the call at the line of scrimmage. And I think the fans that have over time, and you've been uh, part of this, have have uh, taken pride in that and, and become that a tough place to play. It hasn't always been. So uh, oh, that's that's up there for me. I'll go ahead and say that that's number one because of the sustainability of how it – and, I mean, we won that in. We're elite in, uh, from, from that standpoint of being in a different place in, in some of these other years. But um, the, the fan base really showed up that day and, and kept it going the whole, whole 60 minutes. Go ahead. Maybe I, I just got to tell you, and, and I will say up front, that I guess it could be recency bias, but I really don't think so when I say what I'm about to say. For me, when you factor it all in, that's the greatest game in Sanford Stadium that I've I, I've been a part of anyway. 78 Tech Georgia when we won 29-28 on a two-point conversion. Go back and watch that sometime. But for me personally, um, first of all, more, most importantly for Georgia, when it's number one against number one, I agree with you. It was the most sustained crowd noise we've had. It was incredible. The rain came, and as my son James put it, it made it better. I mean, the crowd got better. It made it more hype, and and it was just we overcame so much. I tell you, if it doesn't rain, I think we might hang fifty on them. I mean, it was just we rolled. It was incredible for me personally, having both my my son as a freshman in the student section, my daughter there. For me personally, and I didn't know this till after the fact. That was I started going to Sanford Stadium in nineteen seventy six. Missed a game in nineteen eighty one, and hadn't missed one since. And I went back and added it up. That was the 250th straight game for me in Sanford Stadium. Didn't know it. I would have loved to have known it at the time. And so, yeah, it's it was incredible. And I, I will – man, Coach Smart deserves endless credit. He's called on it. He's set the standard. He's asked for it. And, and, and we're getting it. And people are bought in to that atmosphere. And for me, one of my favorite moments now, people ask me this, say, what, what's, what's your favorite moment during game day? I tell you what's moving up rapidly on the list is when that ref comes out and says false start on the mm. offense, five-yard penalty, second down, and then again and again. I mean, that's incredible, and I know this sitting on the list, but think back to Arkansas last year. It's a noon game, mm. and that plays – that to me, when Dan Jackson, who I saw at church this morning, by the way, when Dan Jackson blocked that punt, that was the seminal moment in the national championship season. That's when that was the tipping point where it really got going and we hadn't looked back since, but long winded way of saying that thing this year with Tennessee was one for the ages to say the least. And Hey man, can we not get a safety call out of that deal? By the way, more, I mean, I mean uh, are you kidding me? Well, what's what, the point what, of having what, replay if we're not going to, you know, I mean, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, you're kidding me. There's yeah. no way you're coming out there and saying that's not a safety. Only in Georgia. I mean, I'd say that, but it seems like only in Sanford Stadium is that not a safe. It ended up working out because we got a great, great return and ended up putting, yeah, right. you know, yeah, knocking on them right there. Yeah, just it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a special day for sure. Um, yeah. Daniel, I mean, you were there, right? Number one. Um, it, it's just that simple. I, I don't think it's recency bias at all. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it for me. Uh, I, um, uh, my wife, uh, her family is all Auburn, Alabama. Her mom and dad went to Alabama. Uncles went to Auburn. I mean, bless her heart. But um, we 
truly converted her now. She is a dog. Love and uh, I think it. I think that was the first game that her and I went together to. And I remember looking at her throughout the game. I mean, it sucky conditions and like the mm-hmm. rain, like you're uncomfortable, but everybody is just so hyped. And I just looked at her and I was like, it's not always like this. Like mm-hmm. this is special. And um, it was just such a great game because, I mean, you know, you see it every year, but, like, there was something different with Tennessee coming in. Like, they thought they they were on the up and up. And, I mean, in, in certain rights they are, but it was just, like, such a brutal reminder of who we are. And mm-hmm. uh, God, it was so much fun watching those guys dominate. Kirby just had – you could just – they played inspired the whole game. They did. They That's never true. stopped. And, Brooke, we'll have to – I have to get BB or me to email it to you, but I think I have probably the best photograph ever taken in Sanford Stadium from that game. It's a great Yeah, it needs to be an ESPN or Sports Illustrated, but it's me and my wife. And we had left the game right at the end of the game, and uh, it was probably about three minutes on the clock, and we walked over to the Tennessee section. And let me tell you, Brooke, <laughs> I would be lying to you if I told you um, – I was very patient with my temper. I have a bit of a quick fuse, but it didn't matter this day. I was okay. in such a good mood. And we sat there and we turned around and one of the police officers, I gave him my phone. I said, take a picture of us. And we did it right in front of the Tennessee student section in, in the corner in Sanford. And I think there's, I think we counted maybe 15 birds thrown at us. There's, oh, there's oh, a guy. There's a guy. Oh, that's classic. There's a guy, oh. a Tennessee fan in a Home Depot hard hat from college game day. And he's dumping his entire drink on my head during the picture. And it was just like, I just turned around. And I was like, it's okay. Have a safe yeah. drive home. Yeah, thanks for being you. Appreciate it. That's, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. that's, that is just perfect. That's it's, a be- it's a beauty. If we can figure out oh, oh, that's technology, awesome. we'll put it as like the tag. Uh, we'll put it as like the oh, that's awesome. intro slide for this. Yeah. It's one of those where you zoom in on – each individual, you know, if you zoom in, zoom in on each individual person, it's just classic. They're it's fun. awesome, man. I have it framed in my office at UGA. You're an option. You need to get that in the Saturday in Athens video for the home opener next year. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that is uh, concludes our, our, our deal. I'll, I'll do the recap right quick. My, uh, my top five, okay, I had Georgia versus Tennessee in 2022. As number one, my baseline was was Auburn blackout. That was number two. Uh, number three uh, was Georgia LSU. The sack was just bonkers. Okay, and then four and five could be interchangeable. That was Tennessee upset in two thousand, and then the Notre Dame two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Brooke, you go ahead. You're the top five that that really matters in this side. Uh, yeah, well, no, I, I tell you, and this is um, if I'm remembering correctly, and I think that I am. I would put Tennessee number one for me. LSU's number two. The blackouts number three. Notre Dame's number four and Tennessee's number five, although so many of those can be interchangeable based right. on the, you know, just as you mentioned a minute ago, Daniel, just the family who's there with you, what, what the personal things represent, but gosh, isn't it fun making that list and we've got some more we could add to it too. Yeah. What was yours? I, I think mom, definitely Georgia, Tennessee, 2022. Uh, following that, I have to give it to Georgia LSU in 2013. Baseline number three is the 07 blackout. Uh, after that, uh, Tennessee upset in 2000 and then followed up with 19 Notre Dame. And Notre Dame could be higher, but I think yeah. 
the fact that we went to South Bend the year before and beat them, that kind of mm. kind of like softens it just a little bit because it was so epic going up there and beating them. And then they come here and we beat them at home. But yeah, I, I thought I don't think you can go wrong either way with that list. I mean, you could just flop them around all you want. Mm. Maybe we'll do road games another. We'll have to have Brooke, Brooke on again and talk road Absolutely. games. Absolutely. Brooke, man, this has been special. And uh, I think we all in some form or fashion have a role at Georgia and balancing, uh, you know, the, the professional life and the fandom, so to speak. I always talk about, you, you know, the fan in you dies a little bit when you work up there and do that for a living. And I'm sure you experience uh, game day in a whole different fashion. But at, at the core, we always want to see the alma mater do well and excel and it's been it's been a fun ride obviously to, to the point that we've seen uh, seen now with with coach Morris uh, era it's just just uh something we don't want to let let's let pass without uh realizing we are in the glory days the glory days are here yeah. and uh and I'm so thankful for that and also thank you know all the th- all the high points of this conversation that we talked about just really um it's uh inspiring to talk to you man it's an, uh, it's always an honor and um, I'm lucky to call you friend and uh, lucky to be able to um, hang out with you soon and uh, just really appreciate your influence on my life and just also just uh, sharing a good word with us today. And uh, we'll have you on another day. And uh, there's, so there's more stories we want to hear. We'll probably get through with this and think about something I forgot to ask you. But um, out of respect for your day, we want to let you uh, carry on. So appreciate it. Um, B.B. and Daniel, thank you. It's been a joy. And I, I want to mention one last thing, B.B. You talked about favorite verses. And one that I would add to it is James, from James 1, as you know, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And you know all the good things that come after that. And I've told you this privately, B.B., and I'll say it again. You're crushing the trial that has been laid before you. And God is using you in ways that will be a long time down the road before we fully understand, but I love and admire you in ways that you can imagine. Many, many people do, and you are glorifying the Lord and encouraging countless people, ourselves included in ways that you can't imagine. So press on brother. And thank you for being my friend. And thanks for the joy of this. was a lot of fun. I do hope we can do it again because we are yeah. in the glory days and still an alley last night. One day you'll, you know, 30 years from now, there'll be another coach, another time we might be struggling and you'll be able to say, gosh, when I was in school, we won back-to-back national championships. Not many right. people. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Well, thanks, man. Um, to be continued. Um, yes, sir. We'll, we'll talk soon. Um, have a good, have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. I'll do the same. Appreciate it. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thank you. Thanks, bro.